Welcome to Books That Work, the best and most useful bits of business books. I'm Anna Hughes and my professional purpose is to help people love their work. Each book we feature has something in it to make work better. This overconfidence is is a very potent uh, social drug because it buys you status and it buys you influence and buys you persuasion. That's Professor Ian Robertson. He's a neuroscientist and a clinical psychologist, and he's also the author of How Confidence Works, the new science of self-belief, why some people learn from it and others don't. This work looks at the power of confidence and how the brain influences it. But before we get into the How Confidence Works speed read, thank you to all of you who shared your thoughts on Books at Work in our recent survey. Many of you lamented being able to find the time to listen, so to help with this one, I've got that question, how do you find 25 minutes to listen every two weeks? Here's some ideas. How about making a habit that every second Friday on your way to work, you listen, on the train or bus, riding your bike, walking in or in the car, and finish it off as you settle into the day at work or on the return trip home? Or what about being deliberate about blocking out just 25 minutes of professional development time in your diary every couple of weeks and listening to it then? Or just having lunch and listening while you eat? It's just 25 minutes every second Friday. It's easy. Our author today, Professor Ian Robertson, would encourage creating a habit around listening. He says that would make it so much easier. Right, on to our speed read of How Confidence Works. Professor Ian Robertson has got some real credibility. He's co-director of the Global Brain Health Institute. He's a distinguished scientist at the Centre for Brain Health at the University of Texas. He's internationally renowned for his research on neuropsychology. Everything in this book is justified based on scientific literature. It's full of examples, research and case studies. The effects of confidence on the brain has been proven using many brain imaging studies. Ian Robertson says confidence isn't the power of positive thinking. Confidence is a critically important variable in the human mind and it has profound effects on the human brain and body. So why does confidence matter? According to the research and Ian Robertson, confidence can empower each of us to reach heights we never thought possible. And equally, on the flip side of that, a lack of confidence can have devastating impacts on our careers. It can make us wealthier, healthier, longer living, smarter, kinder, happier and more motivated and innovative. Fuel, that's pretty powerful. In How Confidence Works, the formula for confidence is based on our beliefs. First, we need to believe we can do something. And second, we need to believe something can happen as a result of the action. This shortcut is can do, can happen. If you don't believe you can do it, or that the result will happen, confidence dies before it's even born. Happier people are more confident. Confidence and happiness are intertwined, mutually reinforcing each other through the brain's dopamine reward system. And according to the research, harnessing confidence makes a real difference. Confidence helps us create change. Change actually demands confidence to keep going despite opposition. 
Confidence also frees our minds to options. It creates wider horizons, reduces anxiety and increases control. So it buffers you from stress. We're encouraged to harness confidence by auditing the confidence enhancers and hooking up with them and auditing the things that sabotage confidence and avoiding them like the plague. I want to get into our chat with Professor Ian Robertson now because he goes deeper into these things. Hello, Ian. Hello there. How are you? Very good. good thank you. you. Lovely to meet you too. Uh, we always start books at work with this question. Where in the world are you and what's the view out your window? So I'm in um, a place called Docky, which is a little beautiful little village near the Dublin in Ireland. And the view out of my window is to the Irish Sea, the flat horizon of the Irish Sea. I've just seen the, 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 the ship coming from Cherbourg to Dublin because since Brexit, we've had this huge flourishing of um, direct ship connections between Ireland and, and mainland Europe. So uh, anyway, it's a beautiful morning and I've got a lovely view here. <laughs> Sounds wonderfully picturesque, quite yeah. a, a contrast to what we're having in Wellington at the moment. Um, so I, I want to really get into uh, some of the key things in the book, and we've only got a short period, and there's so much in the book, book, and one thing that struck me was that confidence is everywhere. It's in politics, it's in the economy, it's in teams, uh, it's in, in us as individuals, so there's so much in the book. Uh, it's quite hard to just focus on a few things. But I wondered if we could just start with what 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 is confidence? And you talk about the concept of can do, can happen. Can you explain that yeah. for us? So confidence is a belief um, that we can do something in the future and that if we do some, do that thing, consequences we're looking for will happen. So that's the can do, I can do that, and can happen, uh, the outcomes will come. Confidence is not optimism. Optimism is the belief that things will turn out, and it's not self-esteem. Self-esteem is your evaluation of yourself. <clears throat> the critical aspect of confidence is it's linked to action. <clears throat> so what distinguishes humans from other species is their ability to uh, envisage things that do not yet exist in the world and then to work towards creating, making these visions reality. And that is, um, uh, confidence is the essential fuel for this. Uh, um, and so it's essentially beliefs about what you can do and what will, what, what will happen if you do that. So how do you, how do you move from self-belief and making things happen? What are the things that you need to, to make that happen? The critical aspect of, of, of confidence is that in the human brain, when we anticipate the successful achievement of a goal or anticipate getting a reward, even before that reward comes, it activates the brain's reward network the dopamine-fueled system that is our single feel-good network. So projecting into the future an anticipated success and achieving successes is rewarding and so activates a reward network, lifts our mood, 
it increases our motivation and decreases our anxiety and therefore makes it more likely we will do the thing and therefore more likely that we will get that success. So the, the critical thing about confidence is it's linked to action, but also critically it's linked to anxiety because anxiety is the great corrosive of confidence and confidence is the great antidote to anxiety. Um, and and so some of the greatest sources of confidence are doing things, taking action in spite of the anxiety. So mastering adversity is one of the great uh, sources of confidence and self-belief. So can we dig into that, how you learn those things, how you learn to be confident? So you say in the book that you can do that, that it's inside your head. A critical precursor. <laughs> you know, this belief, the belief that you can do something, whether it's about your emotional state, whether it's about learning some new skill, whether it's about taking some new position, whether it's about um, uh, something about your exercise or whatever. You, you must have a, a model of your own mind which allows for the possibility of change. The famous Carol Dweck in Stanford, her notion of a fixed versus a change mindset. If you believe that your weight is genetically determined, then that belief will subvert and cut the ground from any confidence you have you can do anything about it except go for medical treatment, okay? If you believe that your emotions are controlled by heredity or by early upbringing, you will be the victim of these emotions and, and you will not believe that you can do anything to change these emotions. So the critical first step is to consider your own beliefs about kind of meta beliefs about change because without if, if, if your belief that confidence will be used you won't get you won't become confident if you don't believe that it's possible to to take the action and that that action will have effects on the world so that's a critical first step the second the second step and related to that is how we react to failure and how we think about past failure setbacks needn't be it could be academic failure it could be work failure it can be relationship failure but what we say to ourselves, and the language here is incredibly important, what we say to ourselves after failure is really, really important because potentially failure is one of the best sources of confidence. Because if we get through failure, in spite of all the horrible feelings that come from failing, if we get through that, that will give us a very robust confidence. You know, Doing something in spite of adversity is one of the great sources of confidence. So... So if we say to ourselves, I'm supposing a relationship fails or, you know, we lose our job or we fail an exam. If we say, we have to monitor what we say to ourselves. If we say to ourselves things, oh, I'm just not smart. I'm not academic. Oh, you know what? I'm, I'm just useless. I'm, I'm not cut out. I, I'm not this. This is not, I'm not capable of that. Or I'm not lovable. You know, I'm just not someone, I, I can't. These are all fixed mindset words, phrases that you're saying to yourself that cement a, a, an apathy and fatalism in your response to failure and undercut the confidence that you can have to say, look, actually failure is a great teacher. 
I know that my attributes, my abilities, my emotions, my behaviors, I know that they're not 100% controlled by factors outside my control. I know I have some control. We, I know that the human brain is very plastic. It, it changes with what we do. So I'm going to work, study and think about this failure experience. What were the factors contributing to it? And I'm going to, to, to learn from them to set a new goal, maybe a different direction, maybe not in the same domain. I'm not going to allow myself to cement a fixed mindset of saying fixed things about my myself. So that's, and, and so the third thing I would say is related, related to that. So, so this, this mindset, this failure, but then there's the words you say to yourself. Um, because um, language is a great way of controlling our attention. And that attention is the gateway to our emotions. What we attend to, what we pay attention to determines how we feel. So the trouble with after failure, what happens is if we're, if we're, if we're in a success mode, if we're, everything's going sweetly for us, that narrows our attention because we're anticipating future rewards. And that, that's what confidence does. Confidence narrows our attention to think, right, I'm anticipating that successful experience, that reward. Um, and so my mood lifts. And because my attention is narrowed in anticipation of that future success, there's no room in our limited capacity attention system for worries, for thoughts about potential failure, for memories of past failure to come in because we're focused on this future event. Um, um, but the trouble is when we, when that, is that forward progress is thwarted by failure. Necessarily, our attention system opens up. We have to open up because we're scanning what's, what's happened here. Oh, and we're scanning not in both in the outside world, but also inside our own head. Okay, what did I do? Well, what does this say about me? So there's this huge opening of attention, and that inevitably will cause anxiety to arise. And anxiety, of course, if it's high, and not interpreted properly can disrupt our clear thinking and disrupt and, and can make, make us get things out of proportion, make it difficult to analyze the failure. So we have to, we have to really, really think about how we respond to failure and not let the, the anxiety that comes from opening up our attention system hijack us. So what we then have to do is we have to then say, okay, I've identified what went wrong in that failure now I have to set a new goal for myself. It may be a small goal. It may be a very minor goal compared to the route I was on before. But that's going. I'm now going to focus my attention. Maybe just okay. I failed in that business. I'm going to get my goal for the next month is to get myself fit. Okay, so I'm just going to I'm just going to focus on getting fit. So what's my what's my goal for the next eight hours? Right? I'm going to get some kit. <laughs> to go running <laughs> so it's about this now that's why the link of confidence to action is so important if you set clear achievable goals for yourself that are not too easy and not too hard that stretch you a little bit but are not way big goals in the future that narrows your attention and narrowing your attention will reduce your anxiety and will give you a sense of satisfaction no matter how minor it might appear to other people in achieving that goal so those things that you're describing, are those in the book you talk about act, don't feel? Is that, is that part of that concept or is yeah. that something else? 
we all have to feel. So I'm saying, I'm saying, don't remember that how you feel follows what you do as much as vice versa. One of the big penalties of being chronically anxious, and this has been shown across the world, is that you do less stuff of anything because anxiety prompts you to avoid and withdraw. So if you do less stuff, if you take less action in the world, there's less possibility of reward and, and chance and, and, and chance encounters, chance successes. So that's why confidence is so critical because it helps you take action. And by taking action in spite of how you feel, <laughs> and that, that involves a bit of fakery. You may say to yourself, I can do this, okay? Just saying the words will help focus your attention but it may, because you're feeling anxious, these words can feel fake. And you say, oh, that's, no, I can't do this. But just, but if you go through the motions of being able to do the thing that you're not sure whether you can do or not, and use language, posture. Now, power pose research hasn't panned out scientifically, but what has panned out is that constricting yourself physically does reduce your confidence. So if you can remember through the words you say to yourself and the posture you adopt, a proud, self-confident posture, even so inside you feel this is fakery. <laughs> um, if you do these things and if you take the action, even if it's a tiny action in someone else's eyes, but if it's a goal that you feel stretches you a little bit, but is achievable, measurable, and you know whether you've achieved it or not, that will be a tiny increment towards building your confidence and making it more likely you will be able to achieve bigger and bigger goals. Brilliant. I love it. Um, I just, just did want to um, briefly just explore the differences between men and women. Um, and you talk about this in the book and you talk about women on average showing less confidence and men on average showing more confidence. Is, is, yeah. that, is that true? Are you able to just... Yes, kind of... it is. And it's not so much... It's, men tend to be somewhat overconfident compared to their true abilities. So for instance, if you, if you don't mind me using the term, there's a, a, an objective test of bullshitting. <laughs> and this, this was um, given, there's various tests of this, but one of the studies was in a study of several countries across the world in the OECD, they gave teenagers, uh, uh, they test their ability in maths and reading, et cetera. But they gave them a, a set of mathematical terms and they asked them to, to, against each of these, they asked them to say, from zero to 10, have you, have you, how familiar are you with each term? From zero, never heard of it, to 10, I've heard of it and understand it completely. And they, they, they cleverly smuggled about five non-existent terms into the, the real ones. And then they, they, so they got a measure of, of um, bullshitting ability, that bullshitting tendency, people who said, yeah, I've heard of this and fully understand it and it doesn't exist. This is not just done in maths, it's done in all domains. And sure enough, boys bullshit more than girls. <laughs> uh, girls are more accurate in their self-assessment, more um, similarly, you know, if you give male students a general knowledge test, and the boys say the men will score seven and a half out of 10, the women will score eight out of 10, maybe. And then you ask them to say, what score do you think you got? The boys will say nine out of 10 and the girls will say six out of 10, okay? And um, so, so, but the trouble is this overconfidence, the males have more than females, 
this overconfidence is very is a very potent uh, social drug because it buys you status and it buys you influence and buys you persuasion, which is why the you know the classic example of the the job says there are ten key attributes to, for this position. Uh, the woman looks at it, says, oh, I only have eight of them and doesn't apply. The man has four of them. He gives it a shot, he applies and he gets the job. That, that, there is a lot of reality to that. Um, so, so yes, women are penalized in the world because they're, um, uh, for a number of reasons I, I can go into, they're, 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 they're less overconfident than men. So I was interested when I was reading that and wondering whether you had any advice for men about that, because we're always hearing advice for women and insights for women. But I wondered whether there was any any advice or insights for men who are like this, who are overconfident. Um, it's, a yes. great, it's a great question. It's a great question. Um, the, the, the trouble is, Overconfidence buys you success, um, particularly in a highly individualistic society with this individual compet competition. And men, because of the way they represent themselves in their own brains, find it much easier to be ruthlessly competitive. Um, and you know they don't they don't mind beating their friends. You know it doesn't do them. But women's representation of themselves is more embedded in their relationships. And so beating their friends or beating their colleague is, is causes them personal pain because they're fighting against themselves. So men and women are playing by different rules. And the, the other thing about it is that this, this um, uh, overconfidence often shades into narcissism. And the thing is about narcissism is it makes you feel good. <laughs> it works, it persuades other people, it buys you status. So there's a huge disincentive and a huge even attentional blindness it just doesn't occur to men i mean why should they if you like why should they <laughs> now we know if, so that's where it comes to the the culture and the organization because we know that a big overconfident man or not necessarily big but an overconfident man or an overconfident anyway and anyone female as well in a group that's trying to solve a problem who dominates the who intimidates or dominates the discussions in that group, you know you will you will hugely reduce the group IQ, the ability of that group to solve the problems. People who feel in so so for a corporation, for a for a, an organization, you want to you want to harness the you know the capacities of of, of the of the group. And that that is diminished when you have a uh, an overconfident. So that's where um auditing of culture of, of making people real understand it is, it is we not i big big i big egos have their place but not not, not if you want a healthy well-functioning organization so we do huge financial audits but we don't do big behavioral audits in organizations where we get people uh, monitoring giving feedback to the to, to the overconfident male who's maybe doesn't realize because because his attention's focused on future rewards all the time. He doesn't doesn't have, he's, he's got reduced and diminished self awareness of how he's coming across. And I've seen women doing this as well, by the way. So it's not exclusively male. And we need systems of feedback built in to organize how organizations work. People 
periodically saying, look, how are we, we need a safe way for people to give feedback. And the trouble is it's not safe to tell your boss, male or female, uh, look, do you realize how insensitively in you're behaving? Do you realize how you're squishing the, the cognitive capacity of this organization by the way you're behaving? So thank you, uh, Professor Robertson. I love how we have gone in a lovely circle from what confidence is right through to how it, how it impacts on organisations. And when you were talking, I was thinking, well, actually, um, maybe we need to change the rules around uh, how organisations work and how people with overconfidence lead. Um, yes. I mean, I, I, it, it, has, it has happened to some extent in selection procedures, you know, no longer do we have, you know, I say usually for most, we have a single um, committee, you know, where some overconfident person can blow them away with some super, super confident presentation. We, 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 we tend to have many more ways of selecting people to try and, but I mean, still people get promoted or based on superficial aspects of overconfidence without, because the awful thing is this, even when you reveal that someone's a bullshitter, it doesn't reduce the status. <laughs> the, the overconfidence seems to buy a, a kind of status to it that, that sticks, even though their their true lack of knowledge or lack of skill is is revealed. I think that I'm going to try to ignore that last comment. <laughs> um, anyway, thank you so very much for joining us on Books at Work. And um, it's been lovely to talk to you across the oceans and uh, learn such uh, deep understanding and deep insights about the brain and uh, the power of the brain and how we, how we think about ourselves and how we act. So thank you very much. Thank you very much, Anna. It was a real pleasure talking to you. Okay, let's wrap up with the How Confidence Works, take five. One, confidence can make us wealthier, healthier, longer living, kinder, happier, and more motivated. Two, confidence can be learned. The brain is like a muscle. It gets stronger with practice. Three, practice. Believe you can do something and believe change can happen. Four, overconfidence is a real thing and it can be damaging. Five, overconfidence can reduce the group IQ. Big egos have their place, but not if you want a healthy, functioning organisation. That's the How Confidence Works Books at Work episode done and dusted. All the best with building the 25-minute listening habit. Please share Books at Work with others. Subscribe at booksatwork.co.nz or follow Books at Work on Instagram. I'm Anna Hughes and that's Books That Work, Making Work Better.